0: preaching text is from Exodus 16. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam and Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the hands of of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from the heaven for you, that each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way I will test them, whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening, you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, And your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard you complaining that you utter against him, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of Israelites, draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, and they looked towards the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said I have heard you complain I have heard the complaining of the Israelites say to them at twilight you shall eat meat and in the morning you will have your fill of bread then you shall know that I am the Lord your God in the evening quails came up and covered the camp in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp when the layer of dew lifted There on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, what is that? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each of you needs, an omer to a person according to the number of persons, all providing for those in their own tents. The Israelites did so. Some gathered more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, those who gathered much had nothing over, and those who gathered litter, little had no shortage, as they gathered as much as each of them needed. The Word of the Lord.
1: Let us pray. Jesus, our Shepherd, give us this day everything that we need. As we wander through wildernesses of uncertainty and sadness, keep on providing for us, giving to us our daily bread. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Think back with me, if you will to a time when you had to make a major decision. Not the ordinary decisions of everyday life, what to wear, uh, where to eat, who to talk to, but an extraordinary decision, one that would significantly impact your life. The decision to marry, for example, or to move for work or education, to take one job over another, or even the decision to stay put and to keep doing what you're doing. And as you think of that decision, as you remember that crossroads in your life, think about how you felt about that decision in the following months or years. Was there ever a time you questioned it? When you thought back on how things were before and wondered if you had made the right decision? Or perhaps imagined alternate paths you could have taken and wondered if those would have been better? A time when the difficulty and the uncertainty of change made you long for what you had left behind? It's not an easy place to be. The Israelites are in a place like that in our reading today. In the intervening chapters between last week's reading of Moses at the burning bush and our reading today, the lives of the Israelites have changed dramatically. Through through signs and wonders, plagues and the parting of the sea, God has taken these Hebrew slaves and led them out to become the nation of Israel. And while the time of that confrontation between God and Pharaoh was exciting and frightening, And inspiring, life after the Red Sea is a bit more dire. You see, once the Israelites crossed the sea out of Egypt, they found themselves in a barren and inhospitable wilderness. And as the months stretched on and their stomachs grew hungrier, Egypt seemed nicer. And they began to wonder if they had been led in the right way. Why did we bother coming out here? Why did you lead us to this place? Wouldn't it have been better to die as well-fed slaves in Egypt than to be supposedly free and starving out here in the wilderness? And as their complaint came to Moses and to Aaron, you can hear how their memory distorts, and they begin to idealize their situation from just a few months before. How quickly the Israelites seem to have forgotten the oppression that made them groan for relief, the ruthlessness of their taskmasters, the sting of insults and name-calling, the murder of their newborn sons. In the face of their hunger and the vision of of death in the wilderness, all they can remember is the fragrance of meat and bread, the feeling of a full stomach, the comfort of knowing what to expect the next day, even if the expectation is bleak. Though we readers of the story know that the situation of Israel in the wilderness is far better than that of Israel in Egypt, it is difficult for the children of Israel to think beyond the aching of their stomachs and the barrenness of the land around them. We know that when they were under slavery in Egypt, they were barely a united people, let alone a nation but they only remember their full stomachs. We know that in the wilderness they have been gathered up by God and are even now being led to Mount Sinai, where they will receive the covenant God made with Abraham in the form of the law, including the Ten Commandments. But they aren't even sure they'll see the following week. Their hunger and the desolate landscape make it seem that anywhere would be better than here. And perhaps that feeling is familiar to us. In desperate and confusing circumstances, it's hard not to think the grass must be greener elsewhere. In such uncertainty, it's hard not to idealize the past, to remember it as warmer and brighter than perhaps it truly was. Today, both as church and as society, we live in a time of fear. And change. As Americans, change and uncertainty in recent times and anxiety has been the norm. The constant influx of news from places like Las Vegas and around the world is overwhelming and difficult to bear. Basic values that we once thought we could take for granted are being challenged at every turn. And our technologies have made us both more powerful and more dangerous than ever before, whether that danger comes in the form of a nuclear-tipped missile or an arsenal of modified rifles. And faced with the constant stream of war and relativism and violence, we might, like the Israelites, long for a simpler time before the media or the weapons that we have today. But of course, just like with the Israelites, our memory can be selective. It's easy to remember the good while forgetting the bad. Sure, our political debates are divisive and polarizing now, but don't forget that a century and a half ago, Americans were killing each other by the thousands during the Civil War. And while today's myriad of viewpoints and opinions and accusations of fake news is a far cry from the early days of radio and television, when most people heard the same news stories the same way, that simplicity was only possible because the story being told was the story according to the majority. And while the horror of the worst mass shooting in modern American history still washes over our hearts and minds, we have forgotten, perhaps, that maybe four times as many people were killed in two days in 1921 in Tulsa, Oklahoma, as the affluent black community there was targeted by lynch mobs and fire bombings. The good old days, whenever those were, contained more bad than we'd like to admit. The church similarly experiences itself in a time of wilderness. In the church particularly the so-called mainline churches, we encounter decline. Declining numbers, declining resources, declining prestige. There are fewer congregations than there used to be, and even fewer ministers to serve them. The culture seems to have forgotten the church. Cynicism and unbelief seem to be the standard. And those still here in worship, those faithfully attending Sunday after Sunday, well, we're not getting any younger and so in such a wilderness, we too tend to look back on the times when pews would fill without effort, when Sunday schools and confirmation classes were crowded, when clergy could count on being honored and not scoffed at. It's only natural, perhaps, that we would look back for good old days. But again, we're, so, we're faced with the selective nature of our memories. After all, how many of those confirmation students disappeared the moment they were confirmed? How many of those pews were filled by folks who simply didn't want the neighbors to talk? How many of those pastors were motivated more by prestige than by the power of the gospel? Now, I don't mean to say there was nothing good about the church or our nation in the good old days, whenever those were, and I most certainly don't want to discount the myriads of faithful citizens and Christians and pastors who went before, to whom we owe gratitude for their work and for their witness And I don't even mean to say necessarily that we're better off today than we were then. No, what I want to do is to see both past and present clearly. To recognize that just like the Israelites, our memories of fullness and ease can hide realities of slavery and struggle. That when you find yourself in a wilderness, any kind of civilization seems incredibly attractive. When you find yourself in uncertainty or decline, the memory of stability can blind your eyes to God's work here and now in the present. In many ways, we live in a new and uncharted era. There are challenges we face as a nation, as a church, that we've never had to deal with before, not in this way. But the reality is, that God is the one who is leading us out to a land we have not before seen or experienced, but one God has promised to be flowing with milk and honey. And while our days of predictability and apparent self-sufficiency may soon be behind us, we have seen how God responds to a people in the wilderness how when the Israelites despaired of the safety of Egypt, God daily provided bread and quail to satisfy them, no more than they needed and no less. Not just for a week, not just for a month or a year, but 40 years in the wilderness until an entire generation of Israelites grew up daily depending on God for sustenance, being unable to save it up and store it for themselves, or it would go bad. And it was in this wilderness wandering that God forged a people, a collection of Hebrew slaves into the nation of Israel, taking those who were not a people and making them into God's people, a holy possession, a blessing for the nations. Perhaps as a church, God is doing something similar with us. Perhaps God is leading us through a cultural wilderness, teaching us to rely daily on God and not our own wisdom or trendiness or strength. Perhaps God is training us and testing us to make us more faithful, more flexible, more useful in carrying the gospel to a world of violence which desperately needs it. Or perhaps God is something up to something else, something that we haven't yet imagined. It wouldn't be wilderness if we had all the answers. But we do know this. We know that God claims us in the waters of baptism, in the meal of communion, in the holy proclamation of the forgiveness of sins. We know that God is feeding us with Jesus Christ, the living bread from heaven. And that though our impulse is to anxiously hoard, God daily and abundantly provides for this body and life. And we know that sin and death and evil, though strong and rarely challenged in this world, have already been overcome in Christ. And that there will come a day when death and mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the old will have passed away, and the new will have come. And so in the meantime, we wait, and we wander in this wilderness, not gazing backwards towards some idealized past, but turned forwards to where God is even now leading us, hoping against hope, trusting against experience, that though this wilderness seems barren and foreboding, it is here that God's glory is revealed, and it is here that God's gifts are received. And so as that prayer f- famously affirms, we walk forward together to ventures of which we cannot see the ending as paths, by paths as yet untrodden through perils unknown, not knowing where it is we go, but trusting in God's hand to lead us and in God's love to guide us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In a world of violence and chaos and evil, a world where the answers are not forthcoming, where the explanations are nowhere to be found, God is here. God is at work, bringing order out of chaos, bringing good out of evil as God has done from the very beginning. You, people of God, have been chosen, have been called, have been gathered. You, people of God, have been entrusted with a promise, with a blessing. A blessing that provides for your needs and abounds to the needs of a world trapped by sin. And in these days of darkness, when we don't know what to say or what to think, when we don't know what the reasons are or the right path forward is, we carry this gospel message that in Jesus Christ, God is even now reconciling the world to Himself. That in Jesus Christ, evil finds its end and good finds its fulfillment. That in Jesus Christ, who suffered and died for you and me God is present in the darkest of places in the world and that in Jesus Christ we find rest and peace even in the midst of a world of confusion in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen